Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to another edition of Cool Radio. It is your man DM Cool, and the cool is in full effect. Man, it has been a long time since I've done a pod, y'all. I am so sorry for the long wait. I apologize. I apologize. It's been a long time. Shouldn't have left you without a cold pod to step two, step two, step two, step two. You already know how it is. But wow, it has been a while. The last part I dropped for y'all was, I think, like the final week of August. It was literally, it was probably a week before my birthday. So we're talking late August at the very earliest was probably, or latest, I should say, would have been the 1st of September because my birthday was on the 3rd. But I usually record my pod on the weekends and the 1st would have been a Wednesday. So it must have been the final day or two of August, if anything. Regardless, I am back, y'all. After almost a two-month hiatus, I am back. I've just been busy and living life at the same time. So my apologies for the inconvenience. <laughs> but, you know, we all got to be out here living our best lives. But it's all good, though, because I I come bearing gifts. All right? So because it's been a while, what I'm going to do is I'm going to discuss a few things that have happened between then until now. Not everything of course but a few things that i would find pertinent to discuss so right off the bat i want to give y'all a minor breakdown of certified lover boy from drake but give you my overall thoughts and my overall thoughts on drake as an artist throughout his career and how he's going to be progressing going forward so we're going to save that for the mic check segment of the day apart from that we got to talk about the dave Chappelle stand-up special that recently just got released on netflix and the backlash he has received from a few people so we're gonna get into that um i want to talk about the hip-hop centric halftime show that we're going to be getting uh for this or i I guess i should say next year's super bowl since it will be in february of 2022 so i want to talk about that also want to get into Kyrie Irving and his fake wokeness. All right, I want to get into that as well. <laughs> you already know how I'm going to break down with that shit. And then the Wanks of the Week is a bit of a bit of a late one, but it's one that needs to be talked about as well, in my personal opinion. So we're going to get to that. But before we get to all of that, you guys already know how I do. And in case if you're a first-time listener, thank you for listening. Um... I like to get some stuff off of my chest every now and again whenever I'm on this here microphone. So on that note, it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. Woo, I haven't done that in a minute. Have not done that in a minute. So I want to give you guys 
a couple of mini reviews, if you will, of two properties that I watched uh, during the time that I was not on the air. And one of those just so happens to be released by Marvel Studios. Okay. Ladies and gents, I am talking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Now, I'm not going to go into full, full detail with this review, but I will give you a few things that I liked, and I will give you some details nonetheless. Um, I won't give any spoilers. I, this, I won't be talking about it long enough for me to get into spoiler territory anyway, but I want to you know, outline a few things about the movie that I liked, and then I'll go into the other thing that I watched um, during this little two-month hiatus. So let's talk about Shang-Chi first. So Shang-Chi is the latest offering of Marvel Studios and is the one of the newest heroes that has been added into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this one was special for me for a few reasons. So right off the bat, the lead actor, Simu Liu, is a Canadian actor from Mississauga, my hometown. And, you know, you got to represent. You got to represent. You got to represent. And you got to support. Um, Kim's Convenience is a very good show. They should have gotten a sixth season, but they didn't, which is absolutely criminal. And something like that would have never have happened to, let's say, oh, I don't know, Shit's Creek. Yeah, I said it. By the way, Shit's Creek is, an, is another amazing show as well. Not throwing any shade at them. I'm just saying, if you know, you know. But nonetheless, um... Simulu had a very good performance in that movie, and he played the lead role of Shang-Chi, uh, who is a master of Kung Fu. And basically, my I did have some apprehension going into this movie, uh, mainly because it's an American movie studio producing a martial arts action f- uh, film. And when it comes to American studios, they do not know how to shoot hand-to-hand combat scenes properly all they ever do is the freaking shaky cam where everything is chaotic and you can't see the moves being executed and they do that to compensate for the fact that their lead actors don't know how to fight or for the fact that they're using stunt doubles and they don't want people to see that it's stunt doubles doing the action i hate that shit this is why american films when it comes to action they're good at explosions car chases bar fights and, and, and gun shooting. That's it. That, that's all they got. That's all they got. But Eastern films is where it's at when it comes to mar- where, when it comes to hand-to-hand combat fighting scenes. Look no further than The Raid or, let's say, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or anything that's been produced or stars Jackie Chan, essentially. Right? I can go on and on for days about that, but we'd be here all day. Ip Man from Donnie Yen, et cetera, et cetera. You already know how it goes. So... I will say this when it comes to the choreography. Holy shit. Yo, Marvel spent money on getting the best choreographers possible to basically play these scenes out. And it was amazing. So one of the choreographers that they got, and, and I feel bad because I can't remember the gentleman's name, and he passed away recently as well. But he was um, the lead stunt choreographer for Jackie Chan's choreography stunt school. And he's even been in a couple scenes with Jackie Chan in a couple of his movies. So you can already see the influences in a couple of the scenes in the film at the very least. Um, You also had the Tai Chi champion of the world, 
do a few scenes as well in terms of choreography and what have you. And also, the person who trains Simu Liu in martial arts, or for the martial arts scenes, I should say, is a gentleman by the name of Andy Lee. Now, he is one of the faces of a YouTube channel called Martial Club, where they reenact some of the most iconic scenes in martial arts films but then they also do like their own little skits as well they add some comedy in there they even have a couple of like marvel inspired scenes that they've shot as well and their their work is absolutely amazing and it's funny because i never knew i didn't know that he was involved or one of the members of of martial club was involved with this film until like the day it was released where i think i was watching a youtube clip where they were saying how they're in a Marvel movie. I was like, what? And it was actually the character of Death Dealer, the the, the ninja who who trained Shang-Chi from you know age five and onward and what have you. I had no idea. And it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I was happy to see that because I've been watching these guys for a couple of years now. And now they're on the big screen. That's that's freaking amazing. Anyways, so the the martial arts action was amazing. And it wasn't just action for the sake of action, but the action itself was telling a story and Hong Kong cinema in particular is well known for having their martial arts action scenes or action set pieces tell stories. And for me, Shang-Chi turned out to be more than just uh, a martial arts Marvel epic. It turned out to be, it turned out to be a love story. It turned out to be a story about grief and how to handle grief. It turned out to be a story of how to step out of one's shadow and, you know, accept your de- or not accept your destiny, but you know, choose the destiny for yourself, so to speak. And you, you know that that latter one is kind of like how all Marvel movies or how all super superhero movies go. But it was great to see it from a different lens and from a different standpoint as well. Uh, so I really enjoyed the fact that they took their time with the storytelling as well as the writing. The writing was fantastic in this movie. And with regards to the protagonist of the film. Or no, sorry, the antagonist of the film, which is a character who goes by the name of uh, Wen Wu, who was played by Tony Leung, who is basically the Chinese version of Morgan Freeman. This guy was amazing. Like if I had to say so myself, he is probably a top three villain in the MCU. It's Thanos. And then it's a tie between him and Killmonger for that second spot. And whoever gets third gets third. But he's that good, and he made that much of an immediate impact. And they did a, a a very good job of explaining the whole Ten Rings thing because Ten Rings has been a thing that's been associated with uh, the MCU since the very first Iron Man movie, so straight from the beginning. So they did a really good job of establishing it and telling it from the roots and what have you. And you know, they did a little they did a little retconning of sorts. And I'll let you guys figure out what that means once you go see the film. But overall, I love the film. I saw it a day after my birthday. I saw it on my birthday weekend, essentially. It came out September 3rd, which is my birthday. So, of course, I was going to see that. Uh, but, yeah, I had fun with it. The action was great. The acting was great. Aquafina being Aquafina, she's very funny, very charismatic in that. Um, and then, yeah, there's a lot of actors in there that really did their thing as well. Um, the actor who played Shang-Chi's sister, who go, whose character's name is Shai Ling, uh, she was very good in the movie as well. Um my one of my goats, especially when it comes to female actors, Michelle Yeoh was in the movie as well. I wish there was more of her, but that was just me being greedy. But overall, this was a very solid film. This is probably one of my top five Marvel films as a whole, and probably one of my top three Marvel films when it comes to origin stories. This was amazing. 
Love it. Go see it. Um, I don't know if it's still in theaters by now, but if not, once it comes out on Disney Plus, go see it. It's it's a banger. It's an absolute banger. So there's one piece uh, of art that I saw. Whoops, uh, that I saw uh, during this time that I was not doing the show. Another thing that I went to see from the comfort of my living room, as well as a lot of people I'm sure have seen by now, is the Netflix series Squid Games or Squid Game rather. So. It's funny because I went into the show thinking to myself, it's Korean, so it's probably going to be either ultra-violent, it's going to be ultra-horror, or it's going to be a little bit of both. So there was no horror in this. I asked my friends, is there horror in this? Because my friends know I don't do horror. I've seen enough horror to know that it's not my thing. I just don't do it. I don't like seeing people being killed in cold blood with very creepy and ominous music ominous music now it's funny i say that because in squid game there are people who get killed in cold blood but it's not as creepy or as spooky um or as even like demonic as you would see in like a horror film you know what i mean so i'm definitely glad that i didn't get that element in there but the show as a whole from start to finish i think there's what is there eight not eight nine or ten i think there's nine episodes if i'm not mistaken it was good. It was a good watch. It was a very good watch. I was very pleased with it. Um, I would put it into the category of a psychological thriller because there's definitely a lot about the show that has a mental component to it as far as how you process certain scenes and what emotions they trigger out of you as well. Like I would say episode six, for example, is probably the most emotional, heavy um uh, emotion, emotionally heavy, heavy, heavy episode. Episode seven was my favorite. That's the one with the glass. I love that episode. Um, that's definitely my favorite for sure. But yeah, they did a really good job with establishing the characters. And I think they did a really good job of that, especially in episode two, where people have the option of either quitting the game or, or staying in the game. And that episode was used as more of a character building episode. And sometimes those types of episodes can be very hit or miss because they almost lean into filler category, but that one didn't. Um, It let us know why this, why they have no choice but to play this game because it's either you play the game and you risk your life or you end up risking your life and your regular life anyway. So what have you got to lose at that point? At least with one option, you have the chance of being filthy rich. So they did a really good job of establishing the need for that game as well but yeah everything was on point um there are certain characters who were fan favorites right off the bat and i know there are shows out there that kind of generate a bit of a hype beast bandwagon of sorts but with this one i think the hype was well deserved am i going to call it the best show on tv right now i'm not going to say that but is it something that's at least worth checking out? I would say so. And if it's not your thing, that's totally fine. It's not your thing. Like this wouldn't be the type of show that I would normally watch anyway. But it just happened that I was running out of content to watch on Netflix. And I figured, you know what? Let me just, you know, drink the Kool-Aid for once and see what everyone's talking about. And now these little IG meme videos that I saw prior to that were making a lot more sense. Anyways. Overall, I say all that to say that it was a very good watch. Uh, definitely go watch it if you have a cur- if you have a curiosity towards it, or if that's something like right up your alley. Um, 
And yeah, I'm curious to know what's going to happen in season two, because there's a lot that happened, especially near the end where I'm like, really, really, you're going to do that? Nah, nah. Anyways, I want I, I wanted to keep this very spoiler free in case if there hasn't been anyone who has watched it. Uh, it's been out for a month. I get it. But again, you know, I, I, I want to be respectful of that. You know what I mean? I only want to go into the deep dives if it's really, really, really something that I really want to talk about. But nonetheless, go see it. It's a very good show. Um, it's definitely worth the hype, in my opinion. Uh, and I can already tell from now that there are going to be a ton of people wearing Halloween outfits with regards to that show. But hey, I'm here for it. Why not? Go see it. I recommend it. Okay. Let's get into the mic check segment of the week. Let's talk about Drake real quick. I mean, I say real quick, but it's not going to be quick. <laughs> but nonetheless, let's have a discussion about Drake. So as you guys already know, Shang-Chi wasn't the only thing that came out this year on September 3rd. But also, Certified Lover Boy came out on that day. I mean, hell, that was the day of rollouts. I have never seen so much shit roll out on my birthday. It was Shang-Chi. It was, it was Drizzy. It was the latest season of, of uh, Money Heist. I was like, man, I am being blessed today. Anyways, that's besides the point. So, Drake released Certified Lover Boy. And this is an album that a lot of people were expecting fr- from way back in January. But he finally decided to release it. In September, gave us something for the fall. Haven't really received anything from him in the fall since nothing was the same. That's actually my favorite Drake album, personally. I listened to this album. It was good. I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was very entertaining. Daddy's Home is probably my favorite record because it's peak level of Drake Petty. And I love it when Drake is Petty. It's I find it so fascinating. Um, <laughs> look into my eyes, Junior. <laughs> what a dick. But no, I, I love that. I love that song. That's it's probably my favorite. It's definitely my most entertaining song, I would say. Um I do like Champagne Poetry. That was a very good way to uh, introduce the album. Drake is very good with, with album intros. In case if you haven't noticed, just so you guys know, that and, tu- and Tuscan leather, Tuscan leather, pardon me, are probably my two favorite Drake intro uh, intro records. Other than that, the, the record with Hove, I really enjoyed that one as well. Pardon me. And other than that, there there are a few records where I I, I enjoyed. They weren't like extreme extreme standouts but when they come on during a shuffle or you know they're on a playlist or whatever i'm like oh okay i'm definitely listening to that full thing through so yeah overall i enjoyed the album it was good it was a good offering from drake um with that said and i don't think we're at this like we're at this point right now but it's not we're not officially at this point because of this album but i think going forward and i've been saying this since views but going forward as listeners as hip-hop fans, however you want to delegate yourself, we have to come to the point where Drake will put out the same content, but on a different beat or give it a different sound of sorts. He may give us an update as to what's currently happening in his life right now. Like he may drop something about his son or maybe a new woman that he's dating, who knows. But as far as just the general content that he that he talks about, it's mainly about... You know, how money changes people, how a circle may have changed, the relationship that he has with his parents, 
and I'm not saying those are all bad things. Those are all very, very, very fine things, right? Because we've known Drake to be a very personal artist. But I think there are those who are waiting or expecting for Drake to give us an album so monumental that it will cement his legacy as one of the GOATs of, of rap history. Or at the very least, one of the top five GOATs. Because we've seen Drake on top for the better part of a decade now. I think ever since... I think ever since his debut album, like he's been widely regarded as the most popular rapper in the game and it hasn't changed. And there have been people who have tried to knock him off of that pedestal, whether it's Meek Mill, whether it's allegedly Kendrick Lamar, for example. But as far as popularity goes, Drake is by far the most popular rapper. It's not even a question. Not only is he the most popular rapper in the world, but he's arguably the biggest pop artist in the world as well and has been so for a very long time. Now I'm not going to say he's been um the most popular pop artist of the last decade. I think, you know, you still have you still have Rihanna, you still have Beyoncé, Justin Bieber to contend with. So, that one is more debatable, but if we're talking about rap, oh, hands down, like no one in rap history has had a reign longer than Drake's. You know, look at every single big name rapper you could think of who has crossed over into the mainstream. Lil Wayne, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kanye West, not even the not even the Jigga Man himself has had a reign as long as Drake. And that's something to, you know, something to, you know, behold. Because we haven't seen that before. And I don't know if we'll ever see that again. And I think it's very important not to take that for granted when it comes to Drake. Because I know people can be very fickle about Drake and I can understand why, but let's not, you know, move the goalposts for him and but then accept the same flaw in somebody else just because that somebody else doesn't happen to be Drake. But, you know, with regards to that, I think it's okay to have that have that mindset of Drake knowing that you probably won't get the same or you won't get different type of content or subject matter from him because at the end of the day, Drake is an artist, but he's also a business person as well. He knows how to sell his music. He knows how to sell his art. He knows what will get the people to buy his music. And he is one of the forefront runners of this streaming era. I mean, you look at almost every Drake album that's ever been released. How many songs have been on there? It's been like at least 18. That's almost like a, a, minim, um, a minimal requirement for, for the amount of songs to put on there. And on top of, you know actual official albums look at at how many um tertiary projects he's put out you know whether it was if you're reading this it's too late or or um care package or if it's uh, um the the playlist album um more life for example he puts out music almost every year just for the sake of streaming consumption and this is why he has reached the level of being the most streamed artist of all time. Now, streaming hasn't been a thing for that long anyway, right? Like, we're, we're only about 10 years or some into the whole streaming era, but we're really like five or six years into the prime of the streaming era. Because I think it was either 2014 or 2015 where Apple Music became a thing. Spotify didn't become a thing that year but it became popular by that year then you had the introduction of of title for example and it became a thing where you no longer had to buy an album you could just stream it as well as other 
music for $10.99 or whatever the price may be. It became more convenient for the consumer because they didn't have to step out of their house and go to HMV. Or better yet, if they are somebody who's already an online purchaser of music, they didn't have to download the entire album. They can just buy one song if it's only one song that they're feeling. So it is what it is at the point. And even for people who collect vinyl, for example, they can listen to the record, for example, listen to it on Apple Music or Spotify, whatever the case may be. And if they love it that much, then it may pursue them to go buy the actual vinyl copy of that album. And then they can just have it there as a collectible, knowing at, knowing at how great of an album it is. So I'm at that point. I've been at that point, rather, since Views, because for me, I... I hold a high standard for Drake just because of all the things that he's done and all the things that he's accomplished. And I feel like Drake is an artist who has yet to achieve a classic album there. He may have a classic cult or a cult classic album, but that's only amongst Drake fans. Like I, a lot of people like to say that, um, uh, take care or is it take it? Yeah. Take care is, you know, the best Drake album, right? But that's amongst Drake fans. But as far as the hip-hop community as a whole, does Drake have that classic? And respectfully speaking, I don't think he does. But having a classic album is very hard to come by nowadays. Like Kendrick, in my opinion, is probably the only artist of this generation or this decade, rather, that has a classic album. I mean, hell, he has like arguably three or four, to be honest. But not a lot of people have that classic. J. Cole doesn't have the classic. As prolific as a lyricist as he is, um, he doesn't have a classic album either. So going to Drake, though, I think because of the, all the records that he's broken, the, the amount of a cultural influence that he's had over the culture for the last decade, I think it's a little surprising for some people that he doesn't have that undeniable classic that whether you're a fan or, or a detractor, that people cannot deny that, hey, that album is a classic. I don't think he has that. I was hoping that Views would be that classic because... It's a more person. It would be a more personal take on Drake's exploits. Um, that being a very Toronto-centric album, like what is he? What is he going to draw from? And when I listened to it, I was like, okay, this is cool. I love the fact that he's putting different influences of Toronto in there. Uh, in, in terms of the music, when he when he has the Afrobeat in there, that speaks to Toronto's continental African community. When he puts in the dancehall, that speaks to Toronto's Caribbean community. Uh, when he's using the different slang that that Torontonians use, the references, you know, um, uh, refer- referencing, you know, Vince Carter, for example, who was huge in Toronto, uh, having a title of a song like Western Road Flows, things like that. It's like, yes, it's very Toronto centric and I can appreciate that. But I didn't get that that feeling of, oh, my God, this is a game changer. I think he finally did it. And I think from that moment on, I was I said to myself, you know what? Maybe Drake's destiny isn't to have a classic uh, classic album. Or maybe Drake is at the point of his career where he doesn't feel like he has proven everything that he can just, you know, abandon his way of creating music from a business standpoint. Because I feel like Jay, w- Jay was at that point for the longest time until 444, where he just, you know, dropped the guard and said, listen, I'm going to do the most vulnerable album I've ever done. And I loved it. And to me, it's one of Jay's top five albums, in my personal opinion. Perhaps we, we may see that from Drake in 10 years when he's in his 40s and he's done everything that you could possibly ever ask to do in the rap game. And then he gives us that 
that you know uber backpack rap album that a lot of people have been waiting for i don't think he can do that right now and not have the fear of abandoning certain listeners of music whose ear isn't palatable towards rap because for him he 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 goes about making music in the sense where it's very easy on the ear it's very catchy people can follow it no problem and of course he's gonna have his rapidly rap songs but the way drake makes music as a whole is the fact that he tries to please everyone he'll give you the big pop single because that's what's gonna you know gain the the most streams and hits etc etc and then on his b-sides He'll give you the rapid rap songs or he'll probably give you uh, a certain rap song from a certain region within America that a lot of people will gravitate towards, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that's OK. I don't think there, there's an issue with that. And I know there are some there are some uber rap fans who are like, no, I want that classic. I want that that real hip hop. But like if you want that quote unquote real hip hop, then you shouldn't really be listening to Drake or any rapper in the mainstream in the first place, because there's no mainstream rapper right now. Who's going to give you that quote unquote real hip hop. Like you may as well listen to somebody who's relegated to the, to the backpack underground crowd, if that's the case, because you're just kind of setting yourself up for failure in that regard. Even, you know, the most hardened lyricists who are considered somewhat mainstream, like a Kendrick Lamar or a J Cole have, more nuance in their in their approach to rap nowadays and i think that's totally fine because you need to have growth in your game um so i say all that to say drake is fine the way he is right now i think we should all accept him for who he is because this is how he's been for the last 10 years you know as far as being in the mainstream i mean or 11 years at this point i should say um, and just accepting as that, I think he's a phenomenal artist. I think he's done a lot for the uh, rap community, for the for hip hop culture. And when it's all said and done, I think he will be considered top ten all time, even if he doesn't have a classic. That's totally fine. I don't think we need to hold him against that because not every big name rapper that that we hold on a pedestal has a classic album. And even if they do. What rappers are we talking about and what era were they from? Because from the 80s and 90s, like if you ask somebody who was, in, who was from that generation, they will romanticize it and make it feel as though every rapper who came out put out a five mic classic, which is totally not true. It's just not. All right. There, there have been some doo-doo rappers in every generation. All right. So let's 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 cut the crap on that. Um, but as the decades go by, it's harder and harder to come by with the classic album. Like 80s and 90s, because rap was so fresh at the time, it wasn't too hard to come with a classic album. I don't want to diminish how difficult of a feat it was to to do that, but you have to think about the moment in time that they were in and the the strides that they were trying to make towards establishing hip-hop as a culture and as a genre. But fast forward to 2010, because, or sorry, Fast forward, yeah, fast forward to 2010 and onward, I should say, because rap has been well established as one of the more one of the most popular genres of music in the world at that time, and because we've had so many rappers come out from 1980 and onward, there is now an advancement in the level of rapping uh, as far as an art form is concerned. And on top of that, what have we heard that hasn't been said already? It's almost like looking at the dunk contest. What have we seen that hasn't been done yet? 
or what haven't we seen that has been done yet i should say and that's the same thing with rap like who is rapping about something that we haven't heard before or who is rapping about something that we've heard before but from a completely different angle view and 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 concept there's not a lot of people I can think of, even if it's even if it wasn't a rapper who came out from 2010 and onward. Let's say it could be a rapper who came out from like 2005 and they're putting out a body of work in like 2015, for example. There's not a lot of classic albums from 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 the, from this past decade. I would say My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy from Kanye West from 2010 is a classic. I would say. All of Kendrick Lamar's albums are classics. Section 80, Good Kid, Mad City, To Pimp a Butterfly, and even Damn are all classics in my personal opinion. There's not a whole lot out there from 2010 and onward that you can consider classic, whether it's somebody who's established from way back when or somebody who came out during that time period. There's not a lot. So the bar just increases and it just gets further and further because of the fact that rap has been along for so long that you can't just give a classic out all willy-nilly. So I don't think it's fair at this point to put that pressure on Drake. Um, I think listening to him for, for this long, we know who he is. And this is how he's going to be until he says otherwise. And I think that's okay because you can still enjoy his, mu- his music without having to expect a classic out of him. I think that's totally fine. But those are just my thoughts. What do you all think? Feel free to hit me in my mentions at Cool Radio CC. And let me know your thoughts. All right. So let's get into trip talk now. Three topics that were within the week that was. But again, because we've been we've been away for for a minute now, I'm going to reach on a few things that I've been meaning to talk about during this entire time that I've been off. Some of them are a bit more recent than others. But nonetheless, let's have a discussion, shall we? So first thing off the bat, let me talk about Dave Chappelle. So Dave Chappelle. As we all know, he released a new stand-up special on Netflix, and he mentioned that it would be his final stand-up on Netflix for a while. He didn't say, you know, it's going to be his last one ever. He didn't say it was, it was going to be his last one with Netflix. He just said it's his final one with Netflix for a while because he had like a, I think, a, a five stand-up, stand-up special deal with Netflix dating all the way back to 2017, or is it 2016, one of those two years? Regardless... He said it would be his final one for a while, and he had quite a bit to say. So he made, he was addressing um, some of the comments that he's received over the last year or so with regards to how he feels about the LGBTQ community. And in the t- in the stand-up special, he addressed that he never had an issue with trans with anyone from the LGBTQ community, specifically if they're transgendered. He mainly outlined that he had an issue with people who either within that community use their whiteness to weaponize it in a sense where they would get more privileged because they knew that they were white. Or he had an issue with people from that community of today's generation who are not as hardened as people were from from way back when. And he's not even talking about just people in general. He's even talking about people from the queer community who from the 80s and 90s or or whichever time period had i guess in his mind more like thicker skin basically and understood understood the meaning of nuance and what have you so he he was talking about that primarily and he went into some stories about one of his friends who was a comedian who's also 
who was also transgendered and how she supported how she supported him fully and understood the meaning and the context behind his jokes and what have you. And he brought up a few of a few other examples as well. So my personal opinion of that stand up special is this. Um, there were some parts in there that I found funny. There were some parts in, in there where the jokes kind of fell a bit flat. And I'm like, eh, it is what it is. Like not every comedian is going to land his. And I think we, we should all know by now that Chappelle is probably a bit past his prime. And I don't say that in a bad way or whatever, because it just happens. Right. Or maybe you just need a bit more inspiration. Right. Cause like when it comes to art and creativity, I don't think anyone can really be past their prime per se. It just matters. I think what what it all comes down to is how much inspiration, you know, are you getting within your material and and how are you letting it translate onto the stage itself, so to speak. So maybe Dave hasn't really been that inspired to to give us that 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 classic stand up, so to speak. Um, I feel like at this point in his career, however, I think he's more of somebody who kind of gives out like TED talks on stage and what have you. And I'm fine with that because Dave Chappelle is somebody who comes across as very uh, philosophical and he's somebody who uh, likes to engage in the art of conversation. And that's fine. I'm totally fine with that. And I feel like his fans and the people who pay money to go see his shows nowadays, I think they're okay with it as well. Um, regardless, you know, listening or watching a standup, I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. But what I found interesting is that there was so much backlash with regards to what he was saying um, about, you know, the LGBTQ community and the transgender community in particular. And I watched the stand-up and I said to myself, I don't see the outrage. And I'm not trying to gaslight or anything like that, but honestly, I don't see the outrage. And I think this speaks to the point that Chappelle was making, but it speaks to the point that a lot of people in general have been making over the years when it comes to quote-unquote cancel culture. And that a lot of people don't really understand the art of nuance. They don't understand the art of of satirism or satire for short. And this is a technique, or these are techniques rather, that comedians have been using for decades. Now, I get it. You're going to have your comedians like Michael Richardson, for example, who will just scream out nigger and think that, you know, you're going to get a laugh from the audience. And no, like, that's not funny at all. Like, you're just being insensitive for the sake of shock value. But there are people like a Dave Chappelle, like a Louis C.K., like a, a Bill Burr, like a Chris Rock, for example, to name a few, that when they are doing their comedy bits and they're using, you know, real world issues and stuff like that, they are going to speak on it with a lot of nuance and a lot of creativity and a lot of satire. And the art of stand up comedy is to basically make light of all the current events that are happening in the world today. That's the art of comedy. It's been like that for generations. So this generation makes it sound as if that they've never seen anything like that before. And they just think that it's outright offensive without even taking everything into context and consideration. And that is exactly what happened with this Netflix special, even to the point where you'll have people or there have been people, or there were people rather, who are planning a walkout from Netflix. So people who worked in the uh, who work for Netflix, who identify as trans- transgendered or queer, uh, were going to stage a walkout of Netflix because they decided to keep um, they decided to keep the stand-up special on the Netflix server. And so my thing is this: for those people who want to do the whole walkout. 
you do realize that Dave Chappelle has had a five-year deal with Netflix. You know the kind of content he puts out. So why is it now that some of these people are deciding to do are deciding to do a walkout when they already knew what comes with a Dave Chappelle? And I feel like this is a product of the quote unquote hype beast where people want to jump on something because it's popular and it's trendy. And I'm not saying that members of that community or any community for that matter don't have the right to stand up and protest for and fight for what they feel is right by all means. But this is a, this has been an era more than any other era that I can think of where people will quote unquote protest something just for the clout, just for the hype. And while there are real protesters out there who are protesting for something meaningful and and have every intention of spreading awareness about something, there are other people who are just trying to catch on the hype bandwagon. And that's the issue that I have a problem with because Far too often, things like that get more publication and more notoriety than other things that actually matter. Like, we want to talk about, like, people want to talk about Dave Chappelle being, you know, transphobic or whatever the case may be. There are other organizations out there who have been transphobic for years, for generations. I always find it interesting that there's always somebody who is a focal point of controversy, whether deservingly so or not. But yet, that person, more times than anything, more times than not, is probably just a spoke on the wheel, so to speak. So we're talking about transphobia, right? And people are going at Dave Chappelle. I would say a vocal minority, at the very least, of people are going at Dave Chappelle because they don't understand nuance. What about organizations like the neo-nazi party or the kkk for example who make it abundantly clear that they don't like they don't they don't like anyone from lgbtq they don't like visible visible minorities and they don't like anyone that does not identify with christianity basically they're only about people who are white and cisgendered that is it They will let you know in your face that they don't like you and they will call you every type of slur under the sun and have no qualms about doing it. But yet there are people out here who are attacking Dave Chappelle, a stand-up comedian and entertainer, but you're not going at these domestic terrorist parties like a neo-Nazi group, like the KKK for their vitriol and hateful rhetoric and violent outcomes at times towards people of those communities. But we're mad at a black, quote unquote, or not quote unquote, but you know, emphasis on the word black. We're mad at a black entertainer, a comedian at that, for making nuanced jokes about LGBTQ and transphobia and how they've impacted our society when we don't understand the context of, of, of these jokes. It's not like he's making some simple nursery rhyme knock-knock joke where he's just making fun of them for the sake of being queer. It's not that. It's not that at all. His jokes f- throughout years have always been about the commentary on what's happening in the world today. And he also made a point that whenever 
black people are being made fun of or being ridiculed in some shape, way, some form, shape, or fashion, that very few, very few people say anything at all and just keep it moving. But if it's a larger marginalized community like the LGBTQ community that is being offended in some sort of way, the whole world stops. So while he's not making fun of that community per se, he's basically saying, listen, I understand that you guys are, are, are having a fight as well. You guys are fighting for your rights, and that's totally fine, and I respect that. And I'm with you guys on that. Believe it or not, I'm with you guys on that. But when people who look like me are going through the struggle and they're often ignored and nothing is done about the struggle, that's what hurts him the most. So his whole thing, and again, this guy is a philosopher, he's a storyteller, is that he's not attacking the he's not attacking LGBTQ. He's attacking the system that's been put in place that that undermines, you know, the, the issues going on with with racialized groups as well as marginalized groups. And then also at the same time, it basically puts they 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 purposely put a focus on one group because it transcends all things and and they pander to certain groups to make it look as if they actually care. So when you have a group like like the LGBTQ community, their group is very all-encompassing because they're the only marginalized group that transcends race, they transcend gender, transcends religion. It's literally all-inclusive. Whereas the black community is just a black community and they're a very small minority and they're seen as the lowest of the low on the totem pole and their lives don't matter. He's getting mad at that system. And like you said in the stand-up, please watch it if you haven't because you will get a lot more clarity. He is saying that there are a few folks in that community. And he did mention point out a few folks in that community where they will weaponize their whiteness when it matters most to them, when it's advantageous to them. And to me, that's not surprising because as much as some white people will like to say, oh, I... I I stand with all groups and yada, 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 do all the performance shit. There are times where when it comes time to being white, oh, they will pull out that white card and be like, oh, this person assaults me when that never, in fact, actually happened. You know? So, anyways, I say all that to say that nuance, context goes over a lot of people's heads in this generation more than any other. And for anyone born after the year 2000, man, it's, wow, like, Everything, everything is is overlooked. If if you have to have a certain ounce of concentration, then some people just can't be bothered, which is baffling and mind-boggling to me, to say the least. But overall, I enjoyed the stand-up. It's not one of his more funnier stand-ups. It, there had a few jokes in there here and there, but it was more about a conversation about social commentary. And I enjoyed it. And I think more people need to listen to it and need to take it in with an open ear and actually listen to it as opposed to reading a Twitter headline or or getting a, a, a quote from Chappelle in that stand-up that's taken completely out of context. I think people need to do themselves that favor so that they know exactly what's being said and how it's being said and how it relates back to society so they have a clear viewing of what he is saying and then you can properly formulate an opinion and hopefully an objective and unbiased one at that. 
But what do y'all think? Have you seen the special? What do you think of it? Is it funny? Is it not? Do you think he went too far? Or do you think the hype was overblown? Either way, let me know. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. All right. So let's get into the next topic. So the Super Bowl halftime show is probably the biggest gathering of casual viewers that we have for any type of form of entertainment, I imagine. And listen, me, I'm not a football fan. Mind you, I'm not one of these people who are pretending to boycott the NFL because I barely watch the NFL as it is. I watch it once a year just so I can hang out with my friends so we can have wings and beer. That's literally the main reason why I do it. But nonetheless, um, this or I should say next year's uh, NFL uh, Super Bowl halftime show is going to be quite possibly the most hip hop centric one that I can think of or that comes to recent memory. And it's going to feature the likes of Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem, and the queen herself, Mary J. Blige. Now, this is very interesting to me because this seems like, well, minus M- MJB, this seems like a uh, an, an aftermath Hall of Fame rollout, which is fun. I like it. Um, I can't think of the last time where we had these many rappers share the stage for the Super Bowl. And I know Jay-Z um, has a hand in doing this because he is part of their entertainment division with regards to the Super Bowl. And I think it's dope because we've seen so many different acts on the Super Bowl. We've seen Beyonce. We've seen Madonna. We've seen Michael Jackson. Um, we've seen Coldplay. We've seen so many. We've seen a, a bevy of artists take that stage. And I think it's important that hip-hop exclusively gets to have that stage to itself because hip-hop is a billion dollar industry and it's the highest selling genre of music in the world today so why not get their own stage as opposed to sharing it with another act not that there's anything wrong with that but to have its own stage exclusively i think speaks volumes um yeah the last time a hip-hop i saw a hip-hop act on on the super bowl Yeah, I'm drawing a blank right now. I'll be completely honest. I am drawing a blank right now. I'm not going to say the weekend is hip hop. Like, the weekend is pop in general. He's mainly pop, has a little bit of a hip hop influence to his music, of course, but he's mainly pop, which is totally fine because I love the weekend. Um, But yeah, I think this is amazing. I think this is amazing. Like, I can already tell that Dre and Stoop are going to go into their classics. M is going to go into his classics. Kendrick Lamar may or may not deliver a new song because there are rumors of him dropping a new album very very soon we haven't heard anything yet there are some leaks and snippets that came out so by the time february 2022 rolls around we may have a new kendrick album hell it might drop that weekend we don't know but seeing how february is black history month and kendrick lamar has been known to go blackity black it's a possibility and then mjb i mean come on that's the queen of hip-hop and r&b soul like there's nothing more that you can say about that than you know you're gonna get some extreme ballads but i'm very curious to see how they're gonna go about the set um are they going to do a bit of like a time travel experiment like are we gonna start off with dr dre first and then go into his hits with snoop dogg and then you know go down to eminem and then mjb and then kendrick i don't i don't know i have no idea how they're gonna play this out but it's going to be interesting, and I'm here for it. And I think going forward, there needs to be more acts within hip-hop that get to have their own stage. Because I think we're at that point now where rappers have sold enough in the industry where they can get top billing for something like the Super Bowl, right? Like, you think of a placement like that for Kendrick Lamar, for example, is huge. Where he is, he's definitely a mainstream superstar within rap. 
but he's probably a rapper that not too many people would be able to put a face to and say, that's Kendrick Lamar. Drake has that. Drake definitely has that. Kendrick, it depends on the scenario. Like, someone might say, oh, that's that guy who had that really good performance at the Grammys that one year, right? Um, but for Kendrick, that's a huge placement. That's definitely a huge placement. And then Dre, obviously superstar. Eminem, superstar, like, easily. Snoop Dogg, one of the most recognized superstars in the world, just as a personality alone. And then MJB, I'm, I, a lot of people know about MJB. So overall, this is going to be very exciting. I'm going to be waiting heavily in anticipation for it and i'm going to be watching it with excitement as well because hip-hop that's why (laughs) but yeah what do you guys think of who do you want to see perform at the super bowl um if that's your thing uh either way let me know and i'm curious to hear your thoughts and final topic on trip talk oh boy Oh, boy, this should be Wanks of the Week, if, if I'm being completely honest. But nonetheless, we're here now. So on that note, let's talk about Kyrie Irving. So Kyrie Irving has been... Be, ha, listen, I'm not going to pull punches like a lot of these a lot of these, you know, mainstream commentators and stuff like that, but I'm going to call it straight. Kyrie Irving is being a nuisance, all right? He's being a nuisance, and where wherever you may fall on the vaccine, as far as whether to take or not to take it, I don't care, because I'm going to speak my mind on it, and if that offends you, well, then it's meant to. But nonetheless, when it comes to Kyrie Irving, he's being a nuisance right now because of the fact that he refuses to take the vaccine and and not participate in basketball. So here's the thing. Kyrie Irving wants to have his cake and eat it too. And his thing is this. He doesn't want to take the vaccine because he doesn't believe that the vaccine uh, will work in favor of protecting your body from the COVID-19 virus, which I think is completely stupid in my personal opinion because of the fact that this vaccine has been studied and tested multiple times and has been approved by some of the best um What's what's the word I'm looking for? Shit, epidemiologists. Thank you. It has been tested by the best epidemiologists in the world, who have degrees in this. All right, PhDs in in this field. And sometimes he uses the, the excuse of, "Oh, I have to do my research." Dude, the the vaccine has been out for almost a year it's been out since january of this year what more research do you need and to me i feel like it's very insulting because of the fact that there have been so many players who who tested positive for covid and not only that but there are players who have been affected by covid in the most profound ways look no further than basketball player carl anthony towns his mom along with five family members died from covid and to say that you need to do more research on this, there are even some guys who don't even believe, and guys, in, I mean, in the NBA in particular, who don't even believe that COVID is a thing. I'm not saying he's one of them, because I personally haven't heard him say that. But to say that, knowing that there have been guys who have been impacted in that beyond the court, who have had family members die from that shit, stop, man. Now you're just... Now you're being disrespectful and now you're being a nuisance just for the sake of being a nuisance. So what ended up happening is in this, I'm going to say in the city of New York, I don't think it's in the state of New York as a whole, but in the city of New York specifically, um, there is a mandate that 
you have to be administered with the vaccine if you want to work. And Kyrie plays for the Brooklyn Nets, so obviously that's in New York City. And because of that mandate, he cannot play home games for the Brooklyn Nets. So technically, what he could do is he could play games on the road, except for against the New York Knicks, against the Golden State Warriors, because the city of San Francisco has this very similar mandate as well, and the Toronto Raptors, because Toronto, not just Toronto, but Canada as a whole, has a mandate for that as well. So he can't participate in basketball in those um, in those uh, four arenas, basically, because the Knicks and the Nets play in different arenas. So that was the rule. That was the rule. And on top of that, he probably thought to himself, okay, well, I'll just play the road games then. But then the the uh, management team for the Brooklyn Nets came out and said that Kyrie Irving will will miss the remainder of the season until he's fully vaxxed. So that means no home games, no road games, and no practices. Basically holding him accountable, which I 110% agree with. So he got all mad and upset about that. But at the end of the day, you're getting paid millions of dollars to play full-time and to be a full-time participant with the team. That includes training camp. That includes practice. And that includes both home and away games. And, of course, charitable things that the NBA wants to do as well. But nonetheless, that's what you have to adhere to. And not just because it's part of you know, the COVID mandates and what have you, but it's in the collective bargaining agreement, an agreement that was agreed upon between the Players Association and the league officials. And guess who the vice president of the Players Association is? None other than Kyrie Irving himself. You were one of the figureheads of that CBA agreement with those rules in mind. And now you're mad because you have to play by the rules? I mean, you are the vice president of that of that organization. So obviously everyone has to abide by those rules, including yourself, Kyrie Irving. So this guy goes on an IG live rant talking about how he wants to be a voice for the voiceless. And yet you're out here not even saying anything at all until you go on your little IG rants. And the funny thing about this whole entire situation is the fact that well over 90% of the NBA players, coaches, staff, crew members, et cetera, et cetera, are all vaccinated. He is probably the only notable player that is not vaccinated. It's him, Bradley Beal, and then Andrew Wiggins, and then everyone else is whatever. Actually, then again, I think Andrew Wiggins got vaccinated because I swear to God, I saw him playing a game against uh, the Clippers a couple of nights ago. Okay, so he's probably vaccinated then if that's the case because, again, San Francisco, San Francisco has mandates. Huh, okay. So it really is just, I think it's just, unless a Beal got vaccinated, then, then it's just Kyrie Irving at this point and he's being a, a disruptor like he normally is, which is still pre- pretty stupid. Now, here's the thing about Kyrie, right? Like a lot of Kyrie's fans and supporters, especially people who are like anti-vaxxers and maskers and what have you, they want to go out and be like, oh, well, you guys don't pay attention to the charitable things that he does, the charitable stuff. Oh, he's given so much money to different charitable organizations and he's donated money to the WNBA to pay their salaries. It's true. He has done that. But just because you're charitable doesn't mean that you are immune from being a dick because he's being a dick. And I'll tell you why he's being a dick 
for multiple reasons, but for this specific reason. So a lot of people will say that, yes, he has given money to the WNBA and he's one of their biggest supporters and allies, which he is. But then tell me why, why, oh, why he finds it convenient to do his big IG rant speech, which he knows a lot of people are going to tune into since he is the talk of the town right now. And you happen to do it right at the same time that the WNBA is broadcasting a finals game. Knowing that the WNBA has had its issues with trying to draw in consistent high ratings. And you just so happen to drop an IG Live rant right in the middle of a WNBA finals broadcast, which is basically their version of the Super Bowl. They need to pull in as much ratings as they can. And you're out there impeding on that. But you're a supporter of the WNBA. Listen, this guy's full of shit. All right. He is basically trying to be the Kanye West of the, the NBA. He's trying to be that person who is a, a contrarian just for the sake of being a contrarian. He thinks he's more intelligent than the average person and thinks he's the smartest person in the room when really he's not. And I wish that there is an NBA player out there, just at least an NBA player, because it's one thing for a commentator or a media personality to do it. But I wish there was one of his fellow all-star peers who would come out and just call him out for his bullshit. But nobody wants to because nobody wants to ruffle any feathers. Nobody wants to be called a hater or, or anything like that. And everyone's just being very PC and liberal with him. But what this guy really needs is a reality check and the reality of the situation is this there is a pandemic happening there is a vaccine the vaccine is doing its best to prevent any cases from happening going forward and this is something that people need to take seriously now i could say that if you don't want to take it don't take it or you know it's none of my business but when it's a matter of public health and safety it kind of is a lot of people's business as far as whether or not you're vaccinated. Now, that's not to say that I'm going to hate somebody because they're not vaccinated. But at the end of the day, I need to know that my health isn't being compromised if I'm standing within six feet of you. That's the reality of the situation. Now, I'm assuming he doesn't have COVID. And luckily for him, he doesn't. But without the vaccine, you become more susceptible to catching COVID. And we have to keep in mind that for some people, depending on how their bodies react, they may very well be asymptomatic. And I don't know if Kyrie realizes that because he doesn't believe in modern science and medicine. This is somebody who operates without logic or flawed logic at that. This is somebody who often likes and retweets conspiracy theories with regards to the vaccine, not having any real evidence behind the information that or quote unquote information that he is sourcing out and reality check. There are no sources to that because why? Because it's all conjecture. There's no proof or facts or evidence behind what he's saying. And listen, I've seen some dumbasses out there who are trying to compare his situation to little Nas X and people say how, you know, they're more accepting of Lil Nas X, but they're not accepting of Kyrie. Listen, cut the shit, all right? Like, save your homophobic rants for, for, for someone else. That's bullshit. Like, just please, miss me with that shit. Lil Nas X's sexual orientation and, and him being accepted for it has nothing to do with not accepting the fact that there is a real-life 
virus out there that's affecting people by the millions and billions and that there is a vaccine that can help counteract that. It's not a cure. It's a vaccine, meaning that it will strengthen your body in the case if you may happen to catch it and it will help you fight the, the, the virus off quicker and faster and more efficiently. And there's science to prove that. But no, people like Kyrie Irving don't like to critically think because it impedes on their logic that they already have set in their minds. Kyrie may be an eloquent speaker, but that doesn't mean that he knows what the fuck he's talking about. And I wish one of his NBA peers would verbally, of course, slap him in the head and talk some sense into him because he sounds like a jackass. So I commend the Brooklyn Nets for disciplining him. And listen, if this guy ever wants to play basketball again, under these new mandated rules especially, there's always the possibility of him getting traded. He can get traded to a team that doesn't have that mandate within their city or state. That's totally fine. He can get traded to a team in Colorado or in Texas where they really don't give a shit about the vaccine and play out the rest of his basketball days there. But to say that it's his business and what have you, it's not really his business at the end of the day, besides from the reasons that I just pointed out. But on top of that, from a professional standpoint, you are now risking the opportunity to win a championship for the teammates that you basically recruited over to Brooklyn to play with you. You convince Kevin Durant that it would be a good idea to team up in Brooklyn. You convince management to trade half your roster so you can get the the, the likes of a James Harden to play on that team as well so that he can be part of that championship journey as well. You basically, basically concocted this big three experiment in Brooklyn so that you could get a championship or another one to add to, to your resume essentially. You were one of the people who campaigned for Steve Nash to make his head coaching debut in Brooklyn. And now you're jeopardizing it because of your contrarian ways and your conspiracy theorist ways. Like, just get the fucking shot, bro. Like, enough of this, man. Like, all these, there's so many self-entitled and privileged players in the NBA more than ever now. And maybe it's because of the amount of money that guys are making, but I'm so sick of it. Him, Ben Simmons, I'm so fucking sick of it. I wish this guy would just go away forever. And I could go on and on about how much of a dick that this guy is, but I just don't have that amount of airtime right now. And I just don't have that energy to give right now, especially with my first show being back, damn it. But to put a close to the segment, I'm going to say this. Kyrie Irving, and I've been saying this from the jump, when it comes to the segment, is a nuisance. He's a nuisance. He's a malcontent. He's, he's a disruptor. And he's somebody who always wants to be the loudest person in the room because he feels as though, as though he, has, he has to create some sort of controversy, controversy for himself in order to gain attention. And that's a shame because he's one of the more talented players in the league and his talent should speak for itself as opposed to his I trying to be so much more different than everybody else on some hipster shit opinions. Candace Parker, going back to the WNBA finals, said something very poignant and eloquent after her and the Chicago Sky won the uh, WNBA finals. And during her press conference, she, she basically said how there are so many people out in the world who are obsessed with wanting to be seen and wanting to be heard. And they'll 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 beat their chest until everybody hears them and they just want to be known. When in reality, all you need to do and mind you, I'm just paraphrasing what she's saying. But in reality, all you need to do is let the hard work speak for itself. 
Let the hard work speak for itself and people will recognize your greatness. They will come to you. They will recognize you for what you do and the amount of work that you put into your craft and they will come to you. Outside of that, just be a good person, be good to your neighbor and the rest will follow. That is the message that we need to hear more often than not in today's generation. Because this generation is cluttered with clout chasers and people who want to be famous and and people who want to be known for doing absolutely nothing. They just want that feeling of popularity. And Kyrie Irving fits right into that description. So to hear Candace Parker wax poetically on that statement is something that we all needed to hear. And I'm proud of her for saying that. Let the hard work speak for itself. She is a testament to that, as well as somebody like Giannis Antetokounmpo is a testament of that, who is well on his way in becoming the best basketball player in the game today. And I hope he accomplishes that. I want him to win another title. I want him to go back to back, but that's neither here nor there. I just thought I should end up that statement, uh, end up the segment rather with that statement from Candace Parker. And she said it so beautifully um look it up on youtube if you can like it was a very emotional statement like she kind of had tears in her eyes as she was saying that her teammates were consoling her as she said it it was just it was an absolute beautiful message and we need to follow her example as well i'm i'm such a big fan of candace parker she's one of the few active athletic analysts in the game for basketball who actually knows what the hell they're talking about and knows how to break down the game better than a lot of so-called analysts do nowadays but that's neither here nor there But in closing, Kyrie is a dumbass. And speaking of dumbasses, ladies and gentlemen, I haven't done this in a hot minute. But nonetheless, who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. And the wankster of the week goes to Nicki Minaj. Now, this wankster is long overdue, but I figure why not? I'm going to put it out there anyway into the universe. She is getting the wankster of the week because of the fact that she has spread misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccines. She basically stated that one of her cousins or whomever it was basically took the vaccine and and it caused his nuts to swell up and it's affected his relationship with his partner. First of all, There is no proof that aligns with the COVID-19 vaccine of swelling up your testicles because if that's the case, I would have two watermelons hanging from my scrotum right now. So there's one thing right there. (laughs) TMI, right? Um, (laughs) But nonetheless, all of this talk and on top of that, when she was trying to defend her, her, her statement and what have you, you had one of these right wing evangelists from Fox News show support for her and then she retweeted that person and she doesn't know that she's falling into that typical right-wing game where they'll take a rapper who says something outrageous and then they'll promote them for 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 their own gain just so they can turn that person into a see he gets it guy and the see he gets it guy is basically the minority who has a contrarian view about something that the rest of a community would have an opposite opinion on or a unison opinion on And then they take that person and they say, see, he gets it. Prime example, Candace Parker. There you go. Or sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. No, no, no. Candace Owens. Candace. I am so sorry. Not Candace Parker. Candace Owens. I am so sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> Candace Owens. Candace Owens. There we go. Anyways, I digress. So not only is she getting the wankster for that, but she's also getting the wankster for the fact that she is still playing her part in harassing her husband's rape victim from 1994. It even got to the point where she was trying to bribe this woman, I think, well, like $10,000 or something like that for her to no longer make statements about the rape trial or the rape case or whatever the case may be. Basically trying to silence her. So imagine that a woman, a very influential woman like Nicki Minaj, who has spoken out on female empowerment, is trying to silence a female victim of rape and trying to tell her to not say a word at all, preventing her from using her agency and feeling empowered and telling her to stop talking. I will bribe you. I will pay you. Defending her husband who has multiple sex charges at the point where he is now a registered sex offender. On top of that, it's bad enough that her brother is in jail for pedophilia. So I don't know what kind of men that Nicki Minaj likes to keep within her corner, in her life, in her personal life. But the fact that this is a woman who bloviates about female empowerment and all that shit, it's, it's, it's complete bullshit when you're, when you're trying to bribe a female rape victim and trying to silence her. So for that and that alone, Nicki Minaj, you are the wankster of the week. And to be honest, you're just a shitty human being as far as I'm concerned. I feel sorry for your child. You are the wankster of the week. And that about does it for tonight's episode of Cool Radio, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you all for tuning in. You guys are the best as usual. Um, Make sure to follow the show on multiple social media platforms. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on YouTube. And I feel like I'm missing one more, but that's okay. Um, As far as... Where you can listen to us. You can listen to us on Spotify. You can listen to us on Google Play Music. Uh, You can listen to us on SoundCloud as well. And just to follow me specifically, you can find me on Twitter at DM underscore cool. You can find me on Instagram at cool for thought, the number four. Um, And that's about it. That's about it. So once again, I want to thank y'all for tuning in. I'll try and give you guys, you know, weekly to bi-weekly episodes wherever I can. But nonetheless, I do appreciate your listenership. And I always appreciate your feedback as well. So once again, it is your man, DM Cool, reminding you each and every day that Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Music and Entertainment, reminding you that we are out here creating our own legacies. Now, let me do that again. So once again, it is your man, DM Cool. And just so y'all know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.